Glad to be here to kind of uh, bring home our series, City on a Hill. I know Logan and Daniel was here preaching uh, in this series, and I get to actually wrap it up for us. Uh, so as I was preparing for uh, this uh, talk, I came upon an article in Forbes, Forbes magazine, and this, Forbes magazine, this was back in December 2022. And the author who wrote this is a marketing executive, and this is the title of his article. Uh, he said, the, the importance of being a disruptor in 2023. And the author begins by saying this. You've most likely heard the following expression. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Think for a minute about how this applies to your small business. Relying on the strategies that have served you in the past is not the way to build your business in the future. To stand out from the competition, you shake up the way you do things. In other words, you need to become a disruptor. Now, for, for those of you who are not familiar, uh, you know, disruptor originally was a very, it was, was a business term, is really referring to uh, technology and innovation. But disruptor basically means a person, a company, uh, or form of technology that causes radical change in an existing industry or market by the means of innovation. In other words, it's a person, uh, or a thing that breaks, basically breaks up the business as usual, right? And the author cites this one company, Netflix. Back in the 1990s, you remember Netflix first came out with, uh, they didn't have stores, they actually mailed you DVDs so you could watch at home, right? Uh, and not only that, but in 2000, instead of mailing you DVDs, they began streaming video into your home. That radically changed the way you watch movies now. As a matter of fact, uh, if either of you for Black Friday had bought a TV, chances are you've had Netflix installed on your TV with the, one of those little apps that they have, right? And it's so easy to kind of watch a movie now. Uh, they put out of business their biggest competitor, Blockbuster. And I don't know if you know, there's actually a series on Netflix about Blockbuster. So, that's very, goes around, right? Um, but in 2023, one of the biggest companies, uh, one of the biggest disrupt disruptive companies, and some of you may know this, was OpenAI. And it's ChatGPT, right? The whole AI phrase. See, but when it comes to uh, becoming a disruptor or being a disruptor, I cannot think of an organization that, that has a greater impact on our society and in our lives than the church, the body of Christ. And so as we think of the birth of the early church, it was a disruptor. But it wasn't any technological innovation that moved the church forward. But the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, powered by the Holy Spirit in a group of, in a small group of Jesus' followers. See, that changed everything. It changed the way they read the scriptures. It changed the way they worshiped. It changed how they built community. The church disrupted societal norms by the way they loved God and loved their neighbors. So how does the church then 
2,000 years later, still impact our society and our city. See, it begins with recognizing that the same spirit that launched the Christian movement is available to us today as followers of Jesus. You know, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 47, and we've been kind of unpacking some of the habits that the early Christians participated in that led to such an explosive growth. We talked about how Jesus described uh, his church as being like a city on a hill, a church that shines brightly for the good of its neighbors, and that being part of that light is to have a rich life together. And last week, Pastor Logan talked about that. He talked about all the things that they had in common. They had a common life, a common spirit, a common purpose. See, the church was this beautiful, diverse, and united community led by the Spirit that pointed the city towards the transforming love of Christ. But today, I want us to dive in to their unusual and uncommon expression of their faith among people who didn't really believe what they believed, but yet still they were able to transform their communities and then the world. See, the followers of Jesus didn't go on with business as usual when it came to their religion. Instead, their belief in the resurrected Jesus moved them to live an uncommon life among their neighbors. So let's begin to unpack what that looks like in the same verses we've been studying, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 47. And let me read that for us. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the, to the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with one, all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, one common trait was their generosity. And I won't talk about that, that today. Uh, Pastor Logan actually addressed that in his earlier, ser- uh, earlier message. So if you uh, haven't heard that message, uh, I think you can go online and go ahead and catch that message uh, uh, on your website. But what we also see is their uncommon compassion. They had an uncommon compassion towards the marginalized and the outcast. You know, first we see from this passage that the apostles did many wonders and signs. And you would have to wonder, you would have to think, like ask this question, is what were these wonders and signs? See, we only have to look in the Gospels and in Acts and really begin to see that most of these wonders and signs were healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, healing the lame, and caring for the poor. The apostles had this uncommon compassion towards the marginalized and the outcast. And this was such a powerful witness 
to those outside the faith that many took notice. There uh, was a prominent Stoic philosopher, his name was Seneca, uh, in Rome between 4 BC to 65 AD. Uh, Seneca later became an advisor to Emperor Nero. Uh, and Seneca actually described, uh, uh, I guess, the Roman society and many other societies uh, around Rome at that time uh, this way. He said, we destroy monstrous births, and we also drown our children if they are born weakly or unnaturally formed. To separate what is useless from what is sound is an act not of anger, but of reason. The ancient Rome approach to killing their imperfect children is common among many of these ancient cultures. But Seneca goes on to say this. At a time when unwanted babies were thrown into the river to drown, the early Christians were mocked for wading out into those waters to rescue them. They would then adopt these deformed, rejected, and unwanted children. By doing so, these early Christians were following Jesus, who described his work in this way. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. See, these early Christians went above and beyond to help the marginalized and the outcast. They didn't allow social norms to dictate their actions, but the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit moved them to act in uncommon ways. But what is true then is also true now. The same spirit works in us today to serve the marginalized and the outcast. And what would it look like for our church to serve the marginalized and the outcast in our community? You know, there are many wonderful and great organizations in your community that help to address the needs of the socially and economically disadvantaged. I was just talking, you know, to Kyle about this before, and I think you guys are involved in that, in one organization in your community, uh, uh, serving um, the, uh, I guess, the marginalized, like the disadvantaged in your community, and you're throwing them a big Christmas party. And I think that's fantastic. But here's the thing. Civic organizations cannot replace what Jesus calls the church to do. See, as a matter of fact, organizations in your community benefits when Christ followers who have deep compassion for the disadvantaged shares the love of Christ with them by reaching out. See, too often the church is known for what they are against and not what they are for. But imagine if your church was known for its compassion and love for others. So imagine what that can do to your neighborhood and the city in which you live. You know, one of the things that I know for myself I enjoy doing at our church is our food distribution. We do, we do that once a month, and we're able to, in our way, uh, try to address food insecurity. But we don't do it alone. I mean, we're not a, a big church. We don't have a lot of resources. Uh, but thankfully, God 
gave us a partner, a New York Common Pantry. And they deliver 125 bags of groceries to our church, which then our wonderful volunteers go ahead and they give it out. And that is one way, as a church, we can participate in reaching out to those in our community, is to uh, give up our time to do it. But not only that, what's amazing is as you do that and you begin to let the community know what's happening, um, you'll be amazed at how other organizations would be surprised that the church would do that. I mean, I know in Park Slope, um, it's, it surprises a lot of our local organizations, whether it's the public school or um, our community centers there, that the church actually wants to be for them. And that is the way we can really live out our call to be compassionate towards our neighbors. So what does that look like for you here? See, another thing we see in this passage is their uncommon hospitality. See, the early Christians invited people in. It says in verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They opened up their homes to people who were not like them. These people were not afraid to invite. They were not afraid to welcome people in. And their hospitality did three things. It produced glad and generous hearts, praise to God, and favor among the people. See, in a society where the rich do not mix with the poor, Samaritans did not associate with Jews, and the blinded and the diseased were left to fend for themselves, inviting them in, disrupted the status quo. But we know hospitality extends way beyond the invitation. When someone came into the home, they were cared for, fed, and protected. See, the word hospitality meant to provide a safe place. And we associate that with shelter and friendliness. For example... Hospitals were birthed out of Christian hospitality. Because in a hospital, people don't realize, sometimes we forget that a patient's recovery, okay, has to do a lot with hospitality. It depends in some part to the way the patient experiences the hospital. It depends on how safe they feel the food they eat, the attention they receive, and the rest that they get. It extends beyond the doctors and the drugs, but it also includes the hospital environment and the nurses that care for them. And I believe the church actually is the biggest hospital on earth. Because we have to look back at Luke 5, verses 30 to 32, where Jesus said, and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, Jesus compared sin to sickness, and he deemed himself the master physician. And I believe the church should be a hospital where Jesus is our master 
position that the church should be, should be a safe place for those who are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually wounded, where they can come and receive care and receive restoration and receive the gospel. See, in the, in the late, in the 1900s, I'm sorry, in the late 1800s, Florence Nightingale uh, dedicated her life to the wounded. She was a nurse, but she was not any nurse. She is known for her innovations in how the hospital wards and divisions were organized. She pioneered the use of charts and statistics within medical care. So whenever you go to see the doctor and go in the hospital and those charts come out, that was her. See, her entire life was motivated by these two beliefs, that Jesus came to save sinners and, that then be motiv- and then to motivate those saved sinners to make the world a better place. You know, and when she was asked about her life, this is what she said. If I could give you information of my life, it would be to show how a woman of very ordinary ability has been led by God in strange and unaccustomed paths to do in his service what he has done in her. And if I could tell you all, you would see how God has done all, and I nothing. I have worked hard, very hard, that is all. And I have never refused God anything. You see, it doesn't take an extraordinary person to show hospitality. It, but, it, but only... An, but an ordinary person can show extraordinary hospitality, one that can change your community. Now, shouldn't our churches be known for being a place of healing and care, a place where people are welcomed in, be known, and find restoration? See, we only need to uh, remember Hebrews 13, Two, which says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. You know, we live in a time where uh, worship can be done anywhere, thanks to modern technology. People can worship online. Uh, some people, uh, I don't know if you're online now, but, you know, people could be watching uh, online. And that's great. And I'm glad the church does that. And it really does help people uh, receive hope, get the message of hope out, get the message out, and help. See, but the church will still be a place where people will come for community because we were built for relationships. Hospitality opens up the door for meaningful relationships. See, the church should be the most hospitable place on earth because we have a Savior who has always welcomed people in, and he has welcomed us in today. The church can be a place where those who are on a faith journey can find community, can find safety, and be equipped for the journey. A church that resembles a city on a hill will not only look after its members, 
but also how guests and visitors that come to the church are treated and known. You know, I, um, I have a subscription to a, to a coffee shop, uh, and this coffee shop's not very close to me. It's actually, I would say, about 10 blocks. So I have to kind of walk 10 blocks to go get my coffee in the morning. And um, to be honest with you, this coffee, it's not great, okay? It's not really even a very good cup of coffee, but it's a, you know, it's a decent cup of coffee. But what I love about this coffee shop is that they know my name. There is one coffee barista there named Ashley. And when I come in and she sees me, she always says my name and says hi. She'll ask me how I'm doing. That makes me want to go back. I mean, I feel like Norman Cheers. I don't know if you guys remember that show, right? Because hospitality will bring people back. And the church is that kind of place. But hospitality also extends beyond the walls of the church. It extends to our homes, our workplaces, and places where we gather to share meals, conversation, and community. You know, when um, Mabel and I, uh, we bought a place in Park Slope, we always prayed and said, that, you know, Lord, uh, you know, we want our place uh, to be uh, open to our kids, friends, and, and uh, to the people at, at church. And we always want our place to be a place of hospitality. Uh, and believe me, my teenage girls... They took full advantage of that, okay? I can't tell you how many high school and middle school and elementary school friends came, have come into my house. And here's the thing. We have to feed them. If there's food, they're coming. That's, all, that's what I know, all right? You put food down, these teenage kids, they will come, and they will eat you out of house and home. But... I'm glad they bring their friends home. It gets me, gives me a chance to get to know them. It gives me a chance to uh, see how my daughters interact with their friends uh, and helps them to see, like, you know, we're Jesus followers, but we're just normal people as well. What's your story? Our homes are places, our dinner tables are places where we can see, uh, hear these stories. If you look at Acts chapter 2, when they invited them home, you can imagine what the dinner tables look like, right? The diversity in that community, all different people coming to know the Lord, right, from different places, the stories they must have told, the experiences they had, okay, and the, how the gospel was shared through a meal at that time. It's a beautiful picture that we can have also today. And lastly, we see an uncommon boldness. See, they took risks. They took risks bearing witness to Christ's death and resurrection. You only have to remember that not too long ago, these same disciples were, were hiding in the upper room, right? These same disciples scattered when Jesus was arrested, when they saw Jesus being crucified, they were nowhere to be found. But then came the Spirit of God, and it gave them this boldness to go and be witnesses for the gospel. Now, in the Scripture says, it says, they went into the temples. See, the temple was a natural place for the Jews to gather. 
It represented more than just a place of, for sacrifices. It was the center of their religious activity, their political power, and commerce. Very much for us to be a place like New York. And just like Jesus who taught in the temple, his followers would boldly go and do the same. They went back to a familiar place, but with a changed heart and a very different message. And they began to bear witness to this resurrection. But here's the thing. Not shortly after, they began to experience opposition. We only have to read a little bit further in Acts in chapters 3 and 4 to know that the apostles quickly faced opposition and threats. Peter and John uh, had continued to bear witness to Christ. They continued to heal people. At one point, they healed a lame man, and the religious leaders caught wind of it. And they arrested Peter and John and took them in for questioning. But this time, Peter and John did not back down. They did not run away, but they boldly shared their witness. They shared about what Christ has done for them. They shared about what they saw, but not only them, but many other people. And when the religious leaders decided to let them go with a warning, instead of running away, they went back to the other disciples, and this is what they prayed. They prayed, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They didn't ask for protection. They didn't ask for like, hey, God, you know, spare me this, this, these threats. No, they prayed for boldness. This uncommon boldness requires more than just a willingness to go share the word. It requires us to ask the Spirit to come and give us wisdom, to give us a willingness to share the gospel with those around us. See, what are the temples today? See, our modern-day temples moved away from religious institutions to the workplaces, to the schools, to sporting events, to coffee shops, and even to, to online. How are we boldly praying for God to work in our circle of influence and our neighborhood? How are we praying for God to use us as witnesses of this good news of Jesus? See, we are all called to live missionally in our communities. And one of the mistakes that, as a church, that we can make is to take people out of our secular relationships and just keep them busy with church activities. And that's all good. I, I love to do things at church. But God also calls us to live out, to move out into our communities and be with our neighbors. See, and if you don't think that that happens, I could tell you, Growing up here in New York City, that happened to me. I didn't become a Christian until I was a teenager. 
And I thought to be a good Christian, I had to spend all my time doing Christian things with Christian people. And looking back, I wish I could have had someone just equip me to live out my faith among my friends, among my neighbors, in my school, at home. I think that would have helped grow my faith even more. So like the apostles, we need to step into our communities, workplaces, and secular institutions with the hope of the gospel. And we need to pray that the Spirit will give us boldness and take some risks. But as we wrap up this series, I just want to encourage you with this, which is the last verse here in Acts chapter 2. It says, in verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. See, here Luke reminds us that it is the Lord who saves. The Lord has done the work for us. We have a, Jesus wants his church to grow more than you and me. He loves his church. As a matter of fact, Jesus saw that we could not save ourselves. He saw that we were dead in our trespasses. And in great compassion, he came down to earth to live the life that we could not live. And with great hospitality, through his sacrifice, he invited us in, not as guests, but as brothers and sisters, that now we have a heavenly father who has a place for us. And all that is Jesus is ours how amazing is that type of hospitality? And not only that, Jesus boldly went to the cross to die for our sins. He took the cup that belonged to us and he gave his life for us on the cross alone. No one showed them compassion, no one showed them hospitality. People ran away in fear. And before he went to the cross, this is what he said to his disciples. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What an amazing gift of grace for us. When we lack compassion, we can ask for it. When we lack hospitality, we can ask for it. When we are afraid to share faith, we can ask for boldness because Jesus will give it to us graciously because he loves his church. So the early Christians shared a lot in common. They shared a common life together. They shared a, spirit, a common spirit that moved them, and, and they shared a common purpose in bearing witness. But they were very uncommon in their compassion towards the marginalized and the outcast. They were very uncommon in their hospitality to the lost. And their boldness for the gospel 
propelled them and moved the church forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks, Lord, for your words. Father God, thank you for your promises, the reminder that, Lord, you, uh, you love us. You have compassion for us. You have, you've shown us hospitality, Father God. And where we lack courage, you give us boldness, Father God. You've given us your spirit to work in our hearts and in our lives, God, to move your church forward. Father God, let's live according to your spirit. Let's live according to the grace that you've given to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.